pours out on me your love. That's a powerful truth for us to stand on in our lives. You know, I um, I just find myself um, saying over and over again recently, uh, and that's that we um, we've placed this emphasis in the church on belief, and so we come to this this point of belief where we say, "Yeah, I believe that Jesus is is the Son of God, and that He lives, and that He loves me." Um, but I think the struggle, at least in my own life, is. Uh, not just getting uh, memorized the truth, right, that I need to believe, like he loves me, but actually living like that is really true. I, I said to this guy one day, um, and let me see if I can get this right, uh, I, I told him, because um, he, he was asking questions about faith and doubt and questions and struggles and all those kind of things. I said, there's, there's uh, a couple of things that we know that are true. One is that um, God is all-powerful, right? Um, and so God is a God who's powerful. Uh, number two, God is a God who is good, Right. And then number three, God is a God that, that loves us. Um, and when, once you have those three things together in your life, um, uh, they, what, what they do for me and, and hopefully what they do for you as you begin to embrace those things um, is they bring you down from up here where it's like, um, uh, you know, things are going bad in my life. Like all things are falling apart uh, and, and we ourselves begin to fall apart uh, and um, um, uh and begin to to struggle with uh, the future and where is God in the midst of this and how am I going to deal with this? And we get unraveled. Um, but if we hold that truth, those things to be true, right, um, that, that God is all-powerful, that he's good, and that he loves us, um, it's really like saying it's it's okay. It, it's okay. And that doesn't say that it doesn't hurt any less or that we don't, um, even struggle with it any less, but it's to say that we affirm the truth that's that it's okay because God is in control and, and, and that he's powerful, he's loving, he's good, and it's all going to be all right. And we live like that, and so we struggle to live like that, uh, and we embrace that more and more in our lives if we, as we embrace our faith. Hey, well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, this morning we're beginning a new series that I'm excited about. We're calling it uh, Seven Churches. We're looking at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, and so for seven, really eight weeks, we'll be in this series and we'll be looking at these uh, churches one by one um, that, that are written about in the book of Revelation. And uh, so, so please, uh, you know, I know it's summertime is coming up and people like to uh, uh, travel or sleep in and act like, uh, especially if you're on a teacher's schedule, right? Uh, uh, you know, you like to, you know, kind of bum out maybe during the uh, summer, but please make church a uh, priority for you being here, being a part of the, the gathering uh, of the church on Sundays. One, um, b- because... Uh, because you, because it's important and it's, it, it plays a role in your life. But, but two, because I believe that this series, this Seven Churches series, is going to be important for our church and it's an important next step. We've been talking about next steps. And at the end of this series, even, we're going to talk more about next steps and what God is calling us to do and how God is calling us to live as a church in this world. Um, and so please be here for, for, for this series for the summer. Don't, uh, don't like, uh, go on vacay, uh, fr- from Sunday mornings, alright? 
Uh, so let's pray and then we'll get into the message. God, we give you thanks for giving us this opportunity to gather here in this place and to uh, study your word. God, we, um, yeah, we investigate it. God, we, we open it, we interrogate it, we ask questions of it. We seek to understand, God, because we believe um, this, this is a gift from you. It's not just a book that was written for our enjoyment. It's a book that was written for our life, God, that you teach us how to live life. And I, I like what, what Jesus said. He said, life abundantly, more abundantly. And so, God, I just pray that as we open the book of Revelation this morning, as we begin to study it, God, I pray that we will embrace some truths for our lives that help us not to just know that there's life abundantly for us, but that we can embrace it and we can say uh, with confidence and fullness and joy that this life is better with the Lord than it is without him. And it's better in the way of the Lord than walking any other way. May that truth be true for us today. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. So like I said, we're beginning this new series. We're calling it Seven Churches. In Revelation, the book of Revelation has uh, seven different letters to seven different churches. And that's kind of the way the book of Revelation begins. Now, now, the book of Revelation is a, um, I, the word that kept jumping in my head this week is this gnarly book, right? It's this crazy kind of weird, eccentric book of the Bible that, that's often overlooked and has been overlooked from time to time because um, um, nobody, um, nobody, well, I, I can't say that. There, there's, some, there's People fall on two ends of the spectrum. It's one, uh, Revelation is over here, it's wild, it's crazy, I don't understand it, uh, and I avoid that book, right? And so it, it's kind of that fate that nobody's favorite book or few people's favorite book is the book of Revelation, right? Nobody's like, if somebody asked me what book of the Bible should I begin reading in, I'm a new believer, I've just come, well, I'll say like John or Matthew or Luke or even Psalms or Proverbs, but nobody says go to Revelation first, right? It's just not that kind of book. It's an odd, it's an odd book. And so you have these people that are avoiding Revelation. Then you have some people on the other end who are, um, uh, um, um, that, that are, uh, they're kind of religious, uh, maybe even a little uh, eccentric, and, and they're trying to, to figure out that timeline of the end of the world and how things are going to play out and what's going to happen, because Revelation has this, this crazy wild imagery, right? There's, um, there, there's, there's uh, all kinds of uh, like storms and thunder and lightning, and um, there, there's uh, hail, and there's like, not like hell, H-E-L-L, but hell is an H-A-L-E, H-A-I-L. Um, <laughs> sorry, I gotta spell that out. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and there's, and there's beasts and dragons and flames and all different kinds of things going on in the book of Revelation. Uh, and, and so it's just a strange book. In fact, I Googled this week, uh, Revelation. I just, you know, if you just Google it and go to Google Images, there are some crazy pictures. And I think, oh, we got one right behind me. All right, have those been going the whole time yes those are some crazy you know, that, uh, it's like something out of a sci-fi movie or something maybe you got some more yeah you know horses are in revelation lambs lions strange things like that um and weird things like that i'm not sure what that is um but but people over uh over time throughout history have tried to put into pictures these images that are conveyed in the book of revelation 
And, and, and I'll admit, I mean, it, it is a difficult book for us to understand. In fact, much of it was written uh, kind of in a code um, that, that was, uh, the, the church at the time was being persecuted, but the church at the, at the same time wanted to be able to encourage themselves. And, and the closest thing I was able to think of is uh, like, um, uh, it, it, you know, during the time of slavery, the, the uh, slaves had uh, what they called Negro spirituals, right? Um, and they were Christian songs, they were hymns, but they conveyed a much different message to those who were on the inside, right? They were a message of hope, a message of, of relief, a message of, uh, of, of community, a message of embracing one another, and a, a message of the future that, that God has not abandoned us and that God has not left us. In the very same way, the book of Revelation, Revelation is like that, right? Some of this was written in code, but the church got it, right? They got this idea that it wasn't a scary book, right? Nobody was uh, opening the book of Revelation in the first century and then having nightmares and shutting it um, because of what they saw there in the dragons. They knew that Revelation was teaching them that God is for you, that God has not forgotten you, that God is in control. And so, yeah, we need to run to the book of Revelation and seek to understand it. Because, yeah, it teaches us that God is in control. And that he's good, he's powerful, he loves us, and everything is going to be okay in the end. There's that scripture in Romans, I know this isn't Revelation, but it says, all things work together for the good of those who love him. And I feel like that scripture, in a sense, points forward to Revelation. It says, yeah... God works for the good of all, um, um, and all things God works for the good of those who love him. That doesn't mean what Jesus said wasn't going to be true in John 14. In this world, you're going to have trouble, right? You're going to have these troubles. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have hardship. But yeah, God is still in control, and the book of Revelation is teaching us that. And so in Revelation chapter 2, um, there's these, these seven letters, that uh, chapter 2 and 3, that John gets in this vision, so he has this vision. He talks about it in Revelation chapter 1, this vision that he, that he got from God. He kind of um, um, almost like fall into a deep sleep, and he sees these things. And it's Jesus Christ himself that's talking to him and instructs him to write it. Let me just read a little bit of that in Revelation chapter 1, what it says. I'm going to start in verse 9. It says, I, John, your brother and companion, in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in, in Jesus was on the island Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Because he was doing God's work and the church was being persecuted, he had been isolated, uh, almost imprisoned in a sense, out on this island. And he says, I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands or red lampstands. Uh, and among the lampstands was someone like the son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. And if you skip down to verse 19, he says this. This is what Jesus, the one he saw in this vision, said, Write therefore what you've seen, what is noun, what is noun and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And so... Um, and I'm not 
quite sure what that looks like in our world today. Um, but, but it sounds like in Revelation that, that God is saying that he has uh, dispatched angels to be a part of, to watch over the church. And, and angels right there, uh, for a lot of us, we put angels and ghosts in the same category, um, but not so, right? I, I don't know about the ghost thing, but um, God has, uh, he's really saying is what I'm doing is I'm watching over, I'm protecting um, the church, right? I, th- this is my church and I've dispatched heavenly angels, messengers uh, to the church to, to guide it, right? And so I'm taking care of it. And then he says the seven uh, the, the seven stars are angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now the imagery here is rich in the book of Revelation because it's ideal of lampstands. So what John sees is not, um, he doesn't see church buildings, he doesn't see steeples, he doesn't see brick and mortar, um, he, he doesn't even see a gathering of people. He sees these lampstands and, and Jesus says those lampstands represent the church and that's pointing to something that's very fundamental to our, our being as the church. And that's that God created us to be light in this world. Right, that God created us to shine brightly in this world, uh, like, like in Matthew chapter 5, what it says, that people might see our good light and praise our Father in heaven. Um, that's what the scriptures over and over again call witness, is bearing witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. That the way we live in this world points to the fact that Jesus exists. And so for the church in Revelation, right, the church was being persecuted, the church was entering in a very difficult time in life and history of the church, where people would even end up losing their lives for their faith, right? And people would end up um, um, having their families split apart for their faith. And the people would find themselves moving from their homes in fear of their life because of their faith. And they would be given these two options, right? Renounce your faith, faith or else, right? Suffer death, suffer persecution. And there were people that, um, uh, that in the midst of that chose to let their light shine even unto the point of death. And so what we see here in Revelation is that um, that that uh, essential to our being the church is light, being light in difficult places. And not just being light in difficult places. It, it's, it's this idea that, and this is one of the reasons, one of the things we try to walk this balance in Tri-Cities Church, um, and that's that being light cannot be reduced to uh, more programs uh, and structured um, missionary activity that maybe I should say right so um, so being light doesn't mean uh, tri cities church uh, it doesn't just mean tri cities church organizing more programs so that we can plug more people into them so that we might serve our community better it, it means that but not just that a lot of times we reduce uh, light or uh, missionary activity being on mission serving God or service itself to these these programs that exist within the church. Um, what what, what uh, we see all throughout the New Testament is that being light is fundamentally about uh, people who are going out to wherever they're doing life, right? Whether that's at work, um, whether that's in your home, whether that's in your community, whether that's at the grocery store, people going out to the places where they do life, right? And living differently in those spaces, right? And so we can't reduce it to a program and, and, and allow our being light to be dependent upon a program that the church has that fits my, uh, my need, my schedule, but rather it's in the midst of my schedule that I'm now being, being light. 
And so this whole idea of the church, um, by definition and uh, just kind of fundamental to its nation is na- nature, is that you can't be a you can't be a part of the church, right? You can only be the church, right? You you can't be a part of the church. And so in in our society where the church has become in- institutionalized, right, where it's this institution, it's this service, it's this you know, are you a part of the church? Is that what you do on Sunday morning? Um, and we we we've uh, we've switched our way of thinking from being the church to belonging to the church. We've introduced membership and we've said, um, I, you know, I belong to the church. And that's why at Tri-Cities Church we changed from membership to partnership uh, is because we don't want people belonging to Tri-Cities Church. <laughs> that, that, that allows you to be fully inactive and to do nothing um, to contribute to being light in the community, just belonging to the church. It's not a club, right? It's not that kind of thing. We, we chose partnership because we believe what God is calling us to is to be the church every single day. And that's fundamental to the nature of the church. And that's essential for us to be light. Because listen, your coworker is not going to come to know Jesus Christ because you come to church on Sunday morning. Let's just face it, right? Your neighbor is not going to come to know you as a follower of Christ uh, because you come to church on Sunday morning, right? If, if they're in the bed and you're getting up, they, they could care less what you're doing on Sunday morning. That has nothing to do with being light, right? Your neighbor is not going to come to know that. Your, your, your coworkers, your friends aren't going to come to know that. But it's only as our lives are transformed, right, as we stop seeing ourselves as belonging to the church and we see ourselves as being the church that our world begins to transform and this is a fundamental shift that revelation is challenging us to make in our lives and especially these letters to the churches when it calls them lampstands being light we got to make that change because because here's the thing and i can stay on this all day so i'm going to move on uh, into the book, into the actual meat of the message in the first letter in Revelation. But um, here's the thing. Uh, people are going to define God by what they see in you. People are going to define God by what they see in you. If somebody doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, if they haven't come to accept him as Lord of their life, they are not going to define God by what they see in the scriptures, right? They are not going to Bereans, Lifeway, or any of those places nine times out of ten. I'll, I'll give that one uh, percent. But um, most times they're not going to Bereans, Lifeway, Bible Gateway, reading the Bible for themselves, right? They're going to come to know God by what they see in people who claim to know God, right? They're going to define God by what they see in us. And so if we're not being lights in the world, then um, our God comes off as being impotent, um, a powerless, uh, unloving, uh, uh, incompetent, um, and, and really not a God worth putting their hope and trust in. And what Revelation is doing is it's raising the stakes for what it means to be a follower of Christ. Right? It, it's saying, um, um, God is saying, I, I could care less about populating heaven, right? Um, God's not so concerned about populating heaven. It wasn't like, I got, it's not like, uh, um, you know, you keep hearing these stories. I was listening to this story about somebody trying to, um, they're, they're starting this thing where some people want to go live on Mars and there's, there's this hope that, um, that years down the road we're going to colonize uh, Mars and there'll be people actually living there. Um, 
Um, uh, heaven was not that kind of place, right? God wasn't like, I got this thing out here, let's name it heaven, and then let's find some people. We need to populate this, right? That, that's, um, that, that's a human way of thinking, right? We, we want to conquer, we want to have, we want to live. If it's out there, we want to live there. Um, God's not like that. He's not saying, I got heaven out here, right? And I got to figure out a way to populate that, so let me send Jesus to save these people, to take them away to this other planet. God's not about populating heaven. He's about bringing heaven to earth. Right? He's about bringing real change and transformation here. And that only happens when we are lights in this world. Now, the thing I love about um, um, the, 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 um, the book of Revelation, and then we're going to see it in this letter to the Ephesians, which is the first letter, and that's that Jesus, he, he, he issues this threat. And he threatens the church. And I struggled with this when I was reading the book of Revelation, but he threatens the church and he, he essentially says, I will shut you down. Um, because it's rather, it is better for you uh, not to exist at all than to exist and not take seriously the light that you've been created to be. So yeah. So this first letter in Revelation is written to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a major city. It was a major, major, uh, urban center in the ancient world. Uh, uh over 250,000 people lived in Ephesus. And so when, uh, John begins to write this letter to this church, this is a, a church that was existing in a way, uh, in a place that, that wasn't heavily focused on, um, the God of Jesus Christ. In fact, they had all different different kinds of gods. And so you had this urban center that was filled with um, arts and culture. And in fact, it was at the mouth of the, of the Keister, I think Keister River. Uh, three trade routes came together in Ephesus. All kinds of culture flowed in. All kinds of trade flowed down. Uh, Ephesus was a very cultured place. But it was a place that had the largest temple uh, in the world, this temple to the goddess, the Greek goddess Artemis, um, that existed there. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, you can read about that god, um, the, the the goddess Artemis, which was, I think, a fertility god. And there's this temple that was longer than a, than a football field, the biggest temple in the ancient world. And and when Christianity, Acts chapter 19 is interesting because when when um, Christians begin uh, showing up in Ephesus and people begin believing in Jesus Christ in, in Ephesus, uh, the people People who uh, believed in the goddess Artemis uh, and um, and and made money off of that goddess, profited off of that goddess. Those people began to to fight back, all right, because um, because there were these art this arts community that existed around this temple, right, and they made shrines and idols that people were buying. But what was happening was that as people were light in Ephesus, right. Fewer and fewer people began to worship the goddess Artemis. Uh, and there were people that were upset about that. <laughs> there were people that weren't like, uh, this Jesus thing is a good thing. And so people began to push back against the growth of the church in Ephesus. In fact, there was a riot there where people were in an uproar and they began to snatch people who were followers of the way, the Bible says. They were followers of the way. They began to snatch them off the streets um, because they needed to stop this movement of light that was invading the world. 
And so here we are in Ephesus, and Jesus has some very poignant things to say to the church at Ephesus. Look at Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to begin right there at the very beginning. Listen to what he says. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So he's, he's, he's present with the church. He's not this God that's distant. He walks among the seven golden lampstands. That he walks among the churches. Right? So these are his words. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Now, that's often, and I, I did a little bit of research this week. It's a, it's a, um, a often misunderstood passage because he's saying, hey, you, you've done some things right, right? You can't uh, stand and, and tolerate wickedness. You, you've become uh, so uh, committed to the faith in this way of life that anything apart from Jesus Christ uh, in the way of Jesus Christ has become for lack of a better word, repulsive to you, right? And, and so you've um, become these people who are uh, very concerned with keeping the way of Christ, right? Uh, knowing what Jesus taught and living it out in your actual lives. And so he says, I know your deeds. And, and he's kind of congratulating them, sort of, right? Saying, you can't tolerate wickedness. There's things in this world that bother you. Yeah, Ephesus isn't a perfect place. There's all different kinds of gods and things that you struggle with in this world. There's things that make it difficult for you to live your faith out uh, publicly. It kind of sounds like the life we live in, right? Um, that there's all kinds of uh, uh, social societal forces and influences um, that impact us and make it difficult to live faithful in this world. That's basically what he's saying to Ephesus. And you can't stand the fact that those things exist, right? You can't stand the fact that, um, that, that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that people are, that, that there's, um, let, me, let me find a good example. You can't stand the fact that, uh, that when you, you, um, you, you turn on the television, there's marketing um, that draws you away from the way that Christ is calling you to live in this world. There's something that's tempting you. Or, or, or you, you can't stand the fact that, um, that you're trying to follow Christ and there's people that are saying, that's just, that's just ridiculous. Why are you getting up and going to church or studying the Bible? Um, that, that you're trying to do the right thing and there's people that are communicating messages that are in opposition to the message that you've come to believe as truth. And you just can't stand those things. You can't tolerate them. And so now you've even become silent in the workplace or silent in your community because you just don't want to make it public what you believe because you know that it might not be, uh, it may not be accepted. And it's saying to the church at Ephesus, you, you can't stand that kind of um, that kind of wickedness. You can't stand that kind of opposition that exists to the word of truth and to the church. But then he says this to the church. He says, you've forsaken or you've forgotten the love you had at first. 
And really what he's saying to the church is this, right? That you had these things right, or you knew what truth was, right? Um, you knew what it meant to be a person of the faith, right? He even says, uh, you persevered through hardship and struggle. Um, but, but here's their, 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 the trouble they find themselves in is that they, um, they stopped Loving those who weren't like them, right? Their love for those who didn't believe like they did, right? Their love for those who believed something different or lived a different life began to wane. It began to disappear. And the word that Jesus taught them to love your enemies, right? To pray for those who persecute you. At one point in time, that was true in their life, but now that's become false. And so when, when anyone lived in opposition to the, their faith or the church, they wrote those people off. I want nothing to do with them because they don't believe like I do. And, and ultimately, they're living in opposition to me. And so they said, yeah, I, I believe you're wicked. I believe, and, and the Bible's not saying that they were wrong in saying that these people um, believe the wrong thing, that they believe that they were wicked, that they believe that they weren't living according to the truth. But it's rather that they forgot they did what was human um they forgot that it was their role to love them in fact i think the more we read the bible that we could say that the person that god is calling us to love the most is the person that we dislike the most (laughs) the person that annoys us the most the person that every time we see them, they're on that last nerve, that that's the person that God is calling us to love. Because the human tendency is to say, yeah, I've come to believe, right? I've come to be a person of faith. And I've come to hate the things that God hates. And I no longer want to tolerate those things. And that turns into, I no longer want to tolerate those people. And then we feel confident as though we're doing something faithful by not just rejecting certain actions and practices, but rejecting the people that are practicing them and pushing them away and refusing and forgetting to love them. And what the scriptures are challenging us to do here in Revelation, in this book to the Ephesians, he says, you have persevered and endured, verse 3, hardship for my name and have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. It's not just, not, I won't say it's not just enough. It's not possible to love God and not love those who annoy us that irritate us, um, that are always on that last nerve for people to not love people that live lives different than we do. You see, love for God and love for others are not mutually exclusive. They don't exist separately. They can only exist together, right? If we love God, we have to. We must love others even those who don't believe the way that we do, even those who are living in opposition to us. In the book of John, there's this powerful scripture that just kind of lays this out in a much plainer way than I ever could. So I want to read that for you. In 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 19, listen to what it says. It says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. 
I mean, it's clear and plain as can be. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother or and sister. Right? That you must love them. And so it's this, this love that comes to characterize the church that the Ephesians did what was human, right? And they turned to those who were, who were on their, on their side, those who were walking in the same way, those who were living the same life, and they showed love to them. They did that well, but they failed where we, where we all fail, right? At loving those that are unlovable, loving those who are uh, difficult to love. And what the scriptures are challenging us is that we can't think of Christian love in the way that we think of every other kind of love because we don't just fall into it. It's not just natural. It's something that we have to make intentional efforts every single day to do. And so we got to say, step back. And I mean, I think, I, I, I think this is one of the, the benefits of, of um of, of having a life of prayer is that it's not just about praying so that we can get what we want, right? But it's about praying so we can be the people that God wants us to be. And so it's us stepping back and refocusing ourselves on God and saying, God, this is the situation I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. God, lead me. And, and it's, us, uh, it's us removing our own uh, expectations and desires and actually hearing from God and him saying, that person that you're, that's annoying you, that you want to get away from, that you want to act maliciously toward, that you want to um, uh, push back against just as hardly as they're pushing against you, right? that person is the one that you need to go out of your way to love them. And it's the uncomfortable message of the gospel. But it's the reason in the book of Acts in chapter 9, when, um, when um, uh, the, the, they're talking about the church in Ephesus, it calls them the way. It doesn't call them the church. It doesn't call them Christians. It simply calls them the way. Because their way of living their life was so starkly different from those around them. They didn't do what was human and natural. They did what God did for them that he chose to love us. So it says we love because he first loved us. You see, our emotion is not a good motivator for love because here's what we do with this, this passage in this verse. Um, so, so as a church, as, as, as Tri-Cities Church, um, the, the church, you know, we're only two, what, two and a half years old, right? Tri-Cities Church began with great enthusiasm, with excitement, um, with, with new people. And there's, there's this, uh, this strong forward movement. And, and many of you were here from the very beginning and you felt that and you experienced that. And, and some of you came along at different places and, and it's like, I, I love this church. I love this community. I feel some excitement about my life spiritually. God is doing something in my life. And, and so we've experienced this thing where together God is doing something in our lives, right? Where God is doing something new in our lives, where um, we're being refreshed spiritually. We're coming to know him better. We're excited about uh, having 
having found a church, being a part of a church, participating in the church, joining uh, uh, city groups and small groups and homes, uh, participating and serving in different ways with our new church. All this begins to happen because of this excitement that we have, because of this new faith, um, this faith thing that God is doing in our lives. And that excitement for some amount of time motivates us. It motivates mission, right? It causes us to serve, um, to be at church and to come on Sunday mornings and to, um, to be a part of a small group and, and to volunteer for different things. But, but here's what happens. Um, that excitement at some point begins to wane, right? That excitement at some point maybe even ebbs and flows, right? It has its high points, it has its low points. Life beats us down and we find ourselves at a low point. And now we find ourselves not going to church or not serving or not being the first to to, to volunteer for something. And, and we find ourselves um, not being active in our city group um, because our, our, our sense of mission was fundamentally dependent upon the excitement that we were feeling and this emotional uh, uh, wave that we were caught up in. And faith has that, that way. Think back to when you first believed. Maybe it was one of those exciting moments where it was like, I'm, I'm all in. I'm excited about the way of the Lord and this way of faith, but that begins to wane. And what we're seeing in uh, John's letter from Jesus to the church at Ephesus is that he's teaching that your faith, your involvement in God's mission and what God is doing in this world cannot be dependent upon your excitement level. It can't be dependent upon your emotion. But it must be dependent upon the fact that God loves you. He said, we love because he first loved me. And so the church becomes, um, yeah, not something that we're a part of, but it becomes something that we that we are on Monday, I'm the church. On Tuesday, I'm the church. On Wednesday, I'm the church. On Thursday, I'm the church. And so when Sunday rolls around, it's not about, uh, am I going to go to church or not? Right? It's, I am the church, and, and I'm gathering with the rest of the body, right? And so it becomes almost, um, it becomes almost, uh, something that, that's just, just, uh, it's a no-brainer, right? It's, it's, I don't have to think much about that. That's just what I do because that's who I, I am. And this becomes, this way of life becomes what I do because of who I am. A person loved by God. And so it's this love that motivates mission. And so, yeah, to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says through John, I'm going to read Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. He says, Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. He's saying, remember, remember what God has done for you. Remember God's love. Repent, turn back to the Lord and do these things. Act as though you actually believe. I was sharing with the worship team before we came out here. The thing I love most about this passage of scripture is that God doesn't say you've messed up. Now I'm done with you, right? He, 
rather he parents the church, right? He does what a parent would do. He says, hey, remember what's right. Remember what's good. Remember what you were created to do. Now, I'm giving you an opportunity to turn and do that, to repent and do that. He chooses correction rather than rejection. But then he says, and this may be different than what a parent does. Maybe when you have grown children, you can do this. But <clears throat> when your children are less than 18, 16, I wouldn't recommend doing this. Well, 18, don't. <clears throat> uh, he says, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place. I will shut you down, is what he's saying. The church will be no more. Because it's better that you don't exist. Don't shut your children down. <laughs> Please. Uh, but God says, I will shut you down. Because it's better that you do not exist. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've called us into this place. But not just so that we can be here, but so that we can learn what it looks like to love the way you loved us. And God, we thank you for your love. And God, we thank you that you've chosen to orient yourself toward us to love us, to be for us. Now, God, help us to turn that around. And God, I, I know for me that there's, whenever I talk about this love for people that annoy me or that I don't like, God, I, there's, there's a face and a name that comes to mind. And my tendency is to erase that name, right? Because I don't want to do that. Because I know how uncomfortable it will be. God, I pray that this week you engrave that name on our minds that we can't resist it. That resisting it is as, um, as hard as resisting you. And so God, please help us to think today, tomorrow, how we will show love to that person in that place where we just don't want to love, where we feel annoyed. God, please help us to know what we can do and to do it. Because how can we love you and not love our brother and sister? God, please continue to challenge us with this message, not because we like it, because ultimately it's for our good and for the good of this world. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.